Hi, folks. Welcome back. It is Tuesday again. Thank you for being here with me. So we are heading into the two longest months of the year, that is, if you live in the Midwest, when there is a prolonged lack of sunshine, and quite frankly, it can be a challenge to get outside. But this year, I've discovered the mental and physical benefits of sauna. Um, I actually purchased a tent sauna. It's similar to the sweat lodges at Apache Springs or those other rogue facilities at Black Mountain, Baldy Town. You know the drill. So it's just been this really cool game changer in how I approach the gray, windy, cold months of January and February. I have found that I really love the Finnish style of sauna with uh, wood fire and steam. And all I can say is that it's good medicine. So if you're looking for a new way to greet the winter and you live in close proximity to Iowa, <laughs> come knock on my door and we'll give it a try. And to all those beautiful mountainous states of Colorado, Utah, New Mexico, you guys enjoy the sunshine, the snow, and the skiing for the rest of us. Okay, onward. Today, Ashley Olson, e-commerce manager for the Tooth of Time Traders, also known as the TOT, joins the show. Ashley's energetic and dedicated personality makes her an ideal leader for the TOT. We discuss her seasonal summers and activities where she fell in love with the Welcome Center and the role of being the first to greet crews upon their arrival at Philmont. Since then, her commitment to customer service has only grown as she moved her family to Cimarron in April of 2021 to work full-time at the Tooth of Time Traders. Being an impressively productive retail store with six backcountry satellite operations, we discuss the Tooth of Time Traders' history and goals for the future. Ashley shares her passion for the seasonal staff, the intentional training and team bonding that takes place each summer, as well as coaching her personal trademark of legendary customer service. From placing purchase orders, receiving and stocking, to website, social media, and custom crew gear, the TOT really does it all. Ashley shares some favorite and timeless products, as well as popular backcountry items, and a sneak peek at new merchandise and the potential for a mobile point-of-sale system in the backcountry in the near future. In closing, Ashley shares her love for the Cimarron community and her excitement to raise her family in such a special place. Stay warm out there, folks, and let's hike on. here tonight with Ashley Olson. And Ashley, you worked seasonally at Philmont for several summers. And now you live in Cimarron with your family and you work uh, at Philmont for the Tooth of Time Traders. And we're going to kind of do a hybrid episode today where we share your story and then also kind of talk about the tot and highlight the work you guys do. Um, in 2005, I know it was your first summer on staff, but had you gone out there before that? 
No. So my film art story is a little more of the unconventional film art story. Um, no history um, or background in scouting whatsoever. I dabbled in like 4-H growing up and some things like that. But but other than that, I didn't really know anything about Boy Scouts, except I knew they had like a particular uniform and some little things like that. So so anyways, uh, my sister, who's a few years older than me, went to college and got um, was studying recreation park and tourism. And so in 2003, a friend of hers that was in the same major um, went out to Philmont. I don't know. He must have had scouting background. I'm not really sure how he heard about it. And so he talked about it and how great it was. So in 2004, she decided to go out and she worked in activities and she loved it. And so I always laugh because there was one time she called me and she was, it was the 4th of July and she was in Eagle Nest. And so there's this area you can kind of pull over right before you start to like descend down into Eagle Nest from Cimarron and there's like this hill. It's like a no trespassing. You're not supposed to go there, but everyone does on the fourth. So it's kind of one of those (laughs) don't do it, but on the fourth, it's okay sort of things. And she called me and she's like, I am watching the fireworks from above right now. And I was like, wait, what? And so I grew up in small town, Illinois, and I had actually never been to the mountains before Um, I showed up at Philmont the first time. And so like, this was just mind boggling to me. And so I'm like, man, I should go out there next summer with you. And she's like, yeah, you totally should. So in 2005, I had just turned 18 and graduated high school. And all of my friends were like, you're going to stay around here, right? And hang out with us. Our last, this is our last summer. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to go to New Mexico. And of course, in Illinois, no one knows what New Mexico is. They're like, what is that? And so, so I went out, but it was kind of weird because I had college orientation. And so I couldn't show up until... It was like that first week of June. So there were some tracks that had already shown up and things like that. And so I rode the train from just outside of Chicago, where I grew up, um, to Raton. And on the bus right there, or the train right there, I was so nervous because I'm like, everyone's a Boy Scout. I know nothing about scouting. I'm like starting to like reevaluate my whole decision on this. And I'm like, what am I doing? And so I show up in Raton. Everyone that gets off the bus that time of year in Raton is obviously a scout or going to work at Fomont. And so we all get on this little school bus and throw. I've got like one of they used to recommend like these big plastic trunks that you yeah. take with you. Yeah. And they're they were amazing because you could like they were like you know bear proof. You could lock them up. But traveling with those things is all they never had wheels. And so it's like carrying this giant plastic thing on a bus, sitting with all these scouts. They're like, Oh, are you here for a trek? I didn't even know what a trek was. I knew nothing about Philmont. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm going to work there. They're like, oh, that's so cool. So they would always stop at like the Dairy Queen in Raton. And I think it closed down now. And you'd stop there and eat. And I was just like, okay, I just want to get to Philmont. I want to like get my stuff where it's going to live for the summer and like feel comfortable. So I was ready to get there. So they drop us off at the Welcome Center. It starts downpouring. My sister that summer worked at French Henry. So she's in the backcountry. She's not there to see me. And her boyfriend at the time was a ranger and he had a day off. So he met me there. And everything, like, I got there, I'm like, I didn't even know. Like, they didn't do an orientation like they do now for staff, which it's so amazing they do. I love it. But it was like, I, like, you couldn't even tell me what building because they all look the same. I knew yeah. nothing about yeah. the place. I'm like, where am I supposed to go and how am I going to carry all this stuff? So <laughs> thankfully, Joel, her boyfriend at the time, shows up and he's like, here we go. Let's go to registration. And Betty checked me in. And and of course, that was like a calming situation in general because she's amazing. And so she checked me in. and. I got my tent and back then you could just be rooming with your backcountry friend. So I had a tent with my sister. So when she was on days 
And then he's like, okay, so this is kind of the building you'll go to to check in. And activities at that time was in what actually was one of the first trading posts. It's the old building that's now the weight room. And so I remember showing up and I felt like that new girl in school, like, cause everyone had been there two weeks, which for Philmont time, that's a lifetime. So everyone was friends and knew each other. And I show up and they all just like, look at me, like judging me, like they're waiting for the new girl to show up to see what she was like. And so I remember being so nervous. I didn't have a phone. Phones didn't work back then. I'm sure you remember that. And, yep. and so I remember I had quarters. I went and sat outside the washeteria and called my parents and like, I'm not a crier. I don't, I just don't cry. And I just start bawling. I'm like, I don't know what I did. This is such a terrible idea. I don't know anyone. Erica's not here. She's in the back country. I don't know when she's going to be back. I didn't even know what the back country meant. And so it was awful. But I kid you not, literally like 24 to 48 hours later, I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. So it took me, it took me a minute to be like, okay, you know what? This might be really cool. And so it kind of was a, I don't know, it was like a love at a day after site. <laughs> and so I instantly became great friends with a lot of people I worked with that summer and stayed really close friends with them. And so many of us decided to go back and repeat in the same position. So I worked in activities again in 06. Then I had this crazy idea to run the Chicago Marathon. And so I didn't want to be living at Philmont the summer before I ran it. And so I stayed in Chicago with my sister in 07 and trained for that and did that. And I hated it. I hated every minute of not being at Philmont. It's like, oh, my friends were there and doing all these awesome things. I'm like, this was a terrible choice. So I promised myself my last two years throughout college, I would work at Philmont again. So I went back in 08 and 09, worked in activities all four years, which is a rarity, but I'm a creature of habit. And I think... I think the reason behind it is I feel like I found like the loophole. I could work in activities and I could work a morning shift and have the whole night off to go do things and go hike or go wherever I wanted. And then um, I also, I fell in love with Philmont, but what I also fell in love with was New Mexico. So I got to go to Taos and Santa Fe and do all of those type of things. And so I hated to be somewhere where I couldn't go those places throughout the whole summer. And so I did tent city manager um, and then was assistant manager the first year the new and current activity center opened. So nice. Pretty, yeah, pretty cool, unique way to get there. But it's it's one of those things where I always tell people with Philmont, it's I feel like every time I explain in words to someone that doesn't know what Philmont is, maybe I'm just horrible at explaining stuff, but it's like, I don't know. I feel like I make it sound so stupid. <laughs> it's like oh, it's a summer camp and we go and we, you know, put on an opening campfire and they're like, what is this? And so I feel like anytime I had people come visit me, um, they were like, whoa, this is so awesome. I thought yeah. we were a weird little camp or something. I'm like, oh. <laughs> It is hard to explain to people for sure. Like I, there's yeah. still people who don't understand it. I like, I do this podcast for Philmont and they're like, okay, you're doing like a podcast for a little camp. Like, no. no. <laughs> um, but okay, a couple things. Activities is a lot different now than it was then. Is there anything you want to touch on a little bit about the activities, yeah. like culture and stuff, or even the tent city manager role? Like a lot of people are kind of like, I don't really know what that person does. So yeah, anything from those years, like you said, you you kind of fell in love with that department and what it offered you. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, obviously the flexibility was amazing and just being able to, you know, be wherever I wanted. Um, but 
we at that point, which I didn't actually know until I came on full time a little less than two years ago, that activities and welcome center were now two departments. So I was like, oh man, that's a bummer. <laughs> I, I didn't like that change. I thought it was so cool that they were the same, but we ran the welcome center. So that was kind of aside from just having fun and planning activities for people. I, the welcome center is definitely my baby. So that's where I would like to spend most of my time. And so I just thought it was the coolest thing on earth to see people show up to Philmont. And the first space they got to see was mine. Like, how cool is that? So I got to like give them awesome energy and introduce them to Philmont and, you know, go through the whole spiel and call their ranger and got to be kind of like that first, first sight of Philmont that they really got to see. And so that just, I love that. And I love customer service and, so that was definitely the thing I like to do the most. But aside from that, the opening campfire, the closing campfire, they were great. Closing was always, I don't know, I did it for four summers and probably over half the summer I was at closing instead of opening. And and it's still crazy each time at closing campfire, like it gets you. It's like, oh, just seeing all those kids in the audience and like what they went through and they're all so happy. And I always walk back with the crews at the end instead of waiting for like the rest of the staff, because I loved listening to like what their favorite stories were and reminiscing. And it was, it's awesome. And so I don't know. I think, I think if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably do the same thing. If the welcome center was still part of the activities. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I think like would it, it would have been so cool to work in the back country, but I don't know. I, I, it was such a cool experience. And I think one of the, one of the greatest things that I always enjoyed from summer was, you know, at least once or so a summer, people would write like one of the best parts of their whole track. They do the little handwritten souvenir that's electronic now, but they would write like, you know, who made, who was the best staff you went and ran into and stuff. And like, they would put me a few times. I'm like, that is amazing. Like, this is such a boring part. Like they're just checking in. So it's so cool. And that's kind of what I tell all of my staff now even is, hey, you might be working at the trading post selling them you know, a pair of shoes to wear on their track, but you can be the highlight of their track. It doesn't have to be the person, you know, helping them to the top of the mountain, like a ranger or something. And it's amazing how much, you know, every little part of Philmont, every role makes such a big impact on people. And so I always like to, to let my staff know, you know, you've got to turn around those bad experience. People sometimes come into the store and they miss their flight and they lost their luggage and they're a day late to showing up. They were going to show up a day early so they could get acclimated to the elevation and and everything like that. And they're in this horrible mood. They walk in and they know they have to buy everything new for their whole trek. And it's like sometimes they can leave and they're in an amazing mood and you change that whole entire situation around for them. And it's like that's pretty powerful. So I always you know, preach that it may just be something small, but it's a big chain effect. And so you may... You may just turn their day around enough that they're in a happy mood the rest of their day and everything else goes better. So I don't know. It's a whole customer service part of it, but it's it's really cool. Philmont is so about, like you said, that chain of events. And it's just this fluid experience um, and everything builds on top of the other. So I think that is so important. And I know the backcountry and the ranger department, conservation department gets a lot of popularity. And right. but every 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 role there at the ranch, I mean, is so important. Um, and now you live in New Mexico um, and your husband's family's from New Mexico, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. it's it became 
Like it made sense full circle. Like you really did fall in love with it and end up there. So I think the biggest thing from my seasonal years is in 2009, I was friends with um, a bunch of locals. Sarah got to meet, I was really good friends with like Will and Wright Taylor and some people like that. And so we'd spend some time together, many nights in Wright Taylor's garage playing music and, and all of that, which I'm sure you got to go and take part in. It's always the best, but um, their good friend, Matthias, who's now my husband, um, I hadn't met him or crossed or paths never crossed once um, the other three years I worked there. And so in 2009, I went out and I remember I took the train that year again. That was my second time to take it out there. And my dad said before I got on, he's like, Ashley, just don't meet and fall in love with someone that lives far away, please. Because I met some people from Philmont and dated them in long distance relationships. And I'm like, no, no, no. I am just totally going to have fun this summer. That's not going to happen. Well, lo and behold, I met Matthias. Um, Rye and I were hanging out one night and Matthias was there and we just hit it off from the get-go. And so he grew up in Cimarron. So most of his family is still here. And so we started talking and it just basically went from there. And so we started talking in early June And um, by the end of the summer, I had gone home and we had talked and we were going to move to Denver in a couple months. So he kept working at the James for a few months. I went home and did a couple little odd and then jobs. He came out and met my parents for about a week and we drove to Denver with a car full of stuff and that was it. No job, no place to live. We stayed in a hotel room for two nights looking for jobs in in an apartment. We made it work. And that December, so just you know, half a year later, he proposed to me in the Cimarron Canyon because I'd always wanted to see the canyon with snow because I was only ever there in the summer. And so he proposed to me there and we got married at Philmont August after. And we've been married, I think it's 13 years this summer. So I'm like, man, such a crazy. So it was great because I was like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm always going to see Philmont. This is because his parents, his um, dad works out here. So they live out at Philmont. And so we got together and spend Christmases there. I'd wake up in the morning, open my window with a view of the tooth. I'm like, this is as good as it gets. And so we lived in Denver for a little over 11 years. And when COVID hit, we both kind of realized this. I don't know if we want the city life anymore. I grew up in a town of a thousand people in Illinois. He grew up in Cimarron, which is the same. And we had two little girls and I don't know, the thought of them in a big city school just wasn't something we were that comfortable with. And so we both actually applied for my job. <laughs> and so Matthias applied first. And as he was reading the job description, he's like, Ashley, this job's for you. And I'm like, what do you mean? I hadn't looked at it. He's like, you need to apply for this job. And I was like, well, I think the application's like closed and stuff. He's like, well, just reach out. So I reached out to Steve Nelson. I was like, hey, I don't know if the job's still open. He's like, absolutely. We can still take an application. And so Matthias and I both had our initial interviews and Luke, who's my boss now, calls me and he's like, hey, Ashley, um, we want to give you a second interview. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Great. Blah, blah, blah. You know, talked about a little bit of the details of it. And he's like, but unfortunately, we decided, Shelly and I decided that we had to either pick you or your husband to go forward. So we will decide to not have your husband. So I, I it's, it's a funny way, but I always like to laugh because the second time Luke called me was when he offered me the position and he had interviewed me that Friday. And he said, you know, you'll likely hear back from us early next week on our decision. I was like, okay, awesome. So I went and I was um, bartending at that point in Denver and I get a call during the busiest part of happy hour and I see it's Philmont. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I tell my friend, I'm like, I've got to step out for just a minute. I have no idea why they'd be calling. 
And it's Luke. And he's like, Hey, Ashley, you know, I just really wanted to call and thank you for your time. And we appreciate you interviewing and stuff, which is like what you say when you don't hire someone. And so like, I felt my heart just drop. I'm like, it's okay. It just wasn't meant to be. It's fine. And then he's like, would you like the position? I'm like, I think, I think I even cussed. (laughs) Like what the hell or something like that. I'm like, that sounded like you weren't going to give me the job. And so that's kind of been like Luke and I's relationship since then. So it's a pretty, a pretty entertaining workplace for the both of us. Even in the summers when life's crazy as you could imagine. I don't know. There's something so incredible about working at Philmont in general, but especially the trading post. It's definitely, it's like I, I had my whole life in customer service and working in restaurants and things of that nature and um, started a photography business in Denver that I did for about 10 years. And so I was, did website development and photography and things like that with that, but like never really had this type of position. And so it was, ner- I was nervous going into it, but it's just like, it was made for me. Like I had, I had worked my life into getting into this position and it is, it's amazing at, you know, I'm not by any means young, but at, you know, 34, 35 to find a job that I feel like I could totally do the rest of my life. Let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about the Tooth of Time Traders Trading Post. Um, We had talked a little bit before this interview about doing like like a highlight on some of the history. Um, So we could start there and then bring it all the way forward to today and the work you do um, and that role you love. So what can you tell us about the history of the Trading Post? Yeah, so I kind of, I know a little bit about it. And so I had to uh, phone a friend and talk to Shelly O'Neill about it a little because, of course, she knows all the specifics. Um, But basically, at one point, the Trading Post was an itty bitty tiny store with a couple patches. And, you know, it almost any pictures I've seen of it, it looks like a really small town scout shop. And because that's what it was. That's basically what they had. And a couple things said Philmont, I think. But for the most part, it was some patches, some knives, things of that nature. And so it had um, been located, like I said earlier, in the staff activity center, the old one, which is now the weight room at Philmont, um, the workout facility there. And they did a remodel um, in 1996. They remodeled the interior of the trading post once they moved it over to what used to be the camper dining hall, which is where it resides now. Um, and so they added pegboard and they added um, four checkout lanes because I guess before it was just like the old like type in the buttons you had to hit like the tax and all of that stuff to be able to check out and and um and then in 2001 they did um the first really big renovation um besides that and um the sales force had to increase because obviously they were starting to sell more stuff Shelly kind of got the go ahead to be able to bring in a lot more items and t-shirts and all this different stuff and of course she went crazy after being withheld from getting things for so long and so they um, started to do a million dollar project, which at that time was the largest capital project for Philmont ever. And that was to add on the 5,000 square foot warehouse and get a forklift and the loading dock and um, and kind of make that what used to be the warehouse is actually where mine and Luke's office is now. And we call it the neutral zone. And it's this tiny little area that I can't even fathom how that was a warehouse. And so I've heard some stories from Shelly about how they had stuff everywhere. They had the polo barns had stuff. They had like a mobile storage, you know, with stuff. So sometimes when they were stocking the store, they would have to drive all over Philmont to grab these things and stock it. So, I mean, it was a necessity by all means to upgrade, but but a million dollars is a lot, of course. And so I'm sure Shelly's charming ability got that where it, where it was. And so 
So then in 2017, the most recent remodel happened, which is what the tot looks like now. And so um, back when I worked there, and I'm sure when you worked there, Caitlin, the snack bar was attached to the store. And so they turned that into more of a sales floor and they um, rebuilt a cantina is what we call it, just a few couple feet away there from the store. And so that's where it is now. There was a kitchen that was by the cantina that's now the shoe room and sock room um, at our store. And so that was kind of the last big thing. They brought in wood from the back country and made the really cool register checkout lane areas. And so it was a major remodel. I remember the first time I went in when I was visiting my in-laws after they'd remodeled and I was blown away. I'm like, man, this looks like like a little REI in here. So it's it was an impressive remodel and we're just trying to keep doing it justice. I believe that the TOT has also like won several awards or have recognitions for accomplishments. Yeah, they, you know, and I have those exact somewhere, but they did win retailer of the year. Um, we do outdoor retailer each year when we can. A lot of times it's right around the time the first scouts show up. So we have to miss it sometimes, but, but they've won awards for that. And, and it's one of the most successful retail businesses square foot. Um, in general, not just in the scouts or anything like that. So it's just an impressive, impressive uh, little store we have. And it's, I think to a lot of people, if you haven't been to Philmont and you haven't seen the store, you're expecting, you know, just a little souvenir shop or something like that. And so the fact that we have everything that you could possibly need for your truck, like I mentioned before, if you lose your luggage or something, you can literally get each and every item that you would need for your truck. And so we pride ourselves on being able to do that because all throughout the summer, you hear radio calls like, hey, this is Baldy to the tot. We need shoes in size eight, or we need a sleeping pad, or we need, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so we're able to get those items up to them. And it's just, it's a lot when you think down about it, like what all you need for your truck, and then to be able to kind of offer, you know, a cheaper, you know, middle of the road and, you know, more high end of each of those if possible. And then on top of that, all the souvenirs, which is definitely our number one selling item is souvenirs yeah. in general, for sure. So obviously Shelly's been a big part of the Tooth of Time Traders for a long time. Were there any other people uh, really a part of that, like history kind of bringing it to where it, it is today, the store itself? Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it's Shelly. I mean, she definitely, she was the first full-time employee. And so she kind of had to finagle her way into that being a full-time position. And I often think about that because of where the store is now. I'm like, we have four full-time and and barely can even, I mean, I don't see my family all summer long. <laughs> so I mean, as you can imagine, we're there a lot. And so so it's it blows my mind, you know, and obviously we're we're able to do a lot more now than she probably could do then just as her and not even having a full-time. But but I mean, I'm sure there's other people that shaped it, but I mean, she definitely brought it from what looked like a tiny little scout scout shop into what she, you know, left for all of us now. Okay, so talking about the tot and obviously the summer being the probably its busiest season, um, give us a little bit of like an insider view of how many seasonal staff members does the tot employ and what's the culture like? Yeah, so it's crazy. We go from the store being absolutely packed from open to close and lines crazy long and and just so many people in there having to stock the sales floor multiple times every single day and at the end do a huge stock when we close up 
to, you know, having at the most, you know, 15, 20 people in there at, at you know, at any given time with hunts or with um, fall or winter adventure crews and things like that. But it's kind of, it's crazy to just at one point go from, you know, we hardly have anyone in our store. We need just one person up front to kind of help out with seasonal staff to having, you know, around 50 seasonal show up and train them all on point of sales and how our inventory system works and teach them all about our products so that they can help customers and go through um, all of the stocking and how that happens and customer service and the level of customer service we expect at the store. And it is enough training you could fit it into a month, but we have, you know, about a week and a half to do it. And by the time everyone gets crazy comfortable with it, the summer's halfway through. And so it's it's pretty intense. So we spend a lot of time um, in the off season really honing in on any type of training that we feel like we can improve each year. So obviously my first summer, I had little to no time to do any of the training um, preparation because I didn't even know what I was doing for my job yet. I was still trying to learn it. And then you know, I was able to take notes throughout the summer and think about all of the things that we could have taught better or things that we could work on or ways we could improve making checkout lanes faster and things of that nature. And then how can we teach that in one and a half weeks? And so it's pretty exciting. And I feel like this last summer, we were able to do it even better. And I just only hope each year we're going to be able to improve even more. And so, so basically around 50 people show up. Um, six of those people go into the backcountry. And so we do have satellite operations, which I'm sure we'll touch on here in a little bit, but they kind of leave us and go into that role. And I train them in that area, but then they also are program counselors and they do that in the backcountry. So, but we do hire them because they are trading post managers for us in the backcountry. And then, and then the rest, um, we go through just vigorous training and get them ramped up and ready to go. And, and most days, I get to work. Our store opens at seven um, and I get to work around six in the morning. And it is rare that I leave before the store closes at around 7 p.m. And it is just nonstop go, 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 which it, it's exhausting, but I absolutely love it. <laughs> so it's like it's such a you get like such a euphoric high from being there and doing and it gets to the point where it's like, OK, I need to take a day off. But it's like. I don't know. You don't want to miss anything. You don't want to. Be, you don't want to be away, and it's really hard to take that break. And of course, the only time the really bad things happen are when you do take a day off. And so, <laughs> yep. usually Shelly and Luke are calling me like, "You need to take a day off," and it's like, "I know, I know, I'm going to. I promise." And so, so it's a pretty cool, amazing experience. Those three months go by in what feels like two weeks. It is just so incredibly fast paced. And then before you know it, it's it's time for Labor Day weekend. We kind of get to wind down, go stay in the backcountry, spend some time camping and hanging out with our families. And then um, inventory ramps up. And so we start prepping for our annual inventory. And we have, for anyone that's never ventured back into the warehouse, it is unbelievably huge. And it is seven rows that are three stories high. And so Basically, you can imagine how much stuff would fit in that area. And then we also have our sales floor account. So we do lots of prep work getting ready for that. Um, we do have a warehouse manager that kind of oversees that for the most part. And then getting technology and stuff ready for that so that we can scan stuff and, and get everything counted. Um, but between all of that, once, once kind of middle of summer hits, we start having um, to put in orders for our next year. 
And so with the Teeth of Time Traders, we are very seasonal in our operation. Um, we do have our e-commerce, which does great sales all year round, especially the holidays. But we um, we order once a year for the most part. There's a few odds and ends we order throughout. But for the most part, we order um, anywhere starting around June and it goes through about January with some people um, and placing tons and tons of POs and getting um, purchase orders and getting all this stuff ordered so that it can start arriving once the new year hits. And so then we have time to check it all in, get the sales floor stocked, get everything photographed and um, built up on the website. And um, and from there, basically just hoping everything comes in in time and you can get it all ready. So part of that receiving though is the backcountry stuff. So like I said, we have stores in the backcountry have four trading posts and two cantinas. So we've got Baldy has a trading post, PJ Phillips Junction, and Apache Springs has a trading post. Poneal has a trading post as well as a cantina. And then Abreu has a cantina. And so part of my job is overseeing um, all of the backcountry operations. And so once we receive stuff, there's a good majority of that that we section off for each of those locations. And so as the time comes where we gather the, or scatter those camps, we're also scattering all of their inventory with them as well. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that we fulfill for Order of the Arrow and National Catholic Committee on Scouting in our warehouse. So we house all of their goods and ship them all. But we've got one whole section of a part of our warehouse that's Order of the Arrow things. And so we receive all of it in our ship station, which is what we use to get all of our orders and everything. And we have National Catholic Committee on Scouting, Order of the Arrow, our orders, the commissary orders when they're selling food and the National Scouting Museum orders that all are just like trinkling in. We're dividing them out to people, shipping it, collecting stuff back in to ship it all from our area. So it's kind of, uh, we do, you know, we're getting close to hitting around the million dollar in sales a year on our e-commerce side of things. And then that doesn't include any of that other stuff. So it's it's a pretty impressive thing. And next time you're there, you'll have to come in and see if you've never seen it before. But our ship area looks like a long rectangular table and we ship so much stuff out of there. It's just this tiny little area. So there's times like during the holidays and we had our huge sales where we have like four huge metal racks, like eight feet tall, stocked full of boxes and packages to send out. And it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing to think so much happens in this tiny little tight knit area of that ship station. So it's very overwhelming when you receive stuff and it's got to go in like four different spots in the store. And then it also has to be photographed and put online. And then it also has to go to like four or five places in the back country. And it's, it's crazy. So we have, um, we usually have around three seasonals helping us that time of year in the winter, getting all of that checked in and counted and everything like that. And so other than that, some big things, I, my main area of focus aside from the store is the e-commerce side of things. And so so I spend a lot of my time in the off season um, working on our social media. Um, I've got constant flow of phone calls coming in and everyone that calls the two the time traders and I'm sure every part of Philmont, it's not, hey, I'm looking for this. Do you have this in this size or, you know, something basic like that? That's how the conversation starts. And then they always want to know about the weather. Always. I don't know why the weather's so... So exciting to people. How's the weather? What's it like there this time of year? What are you doing? Do you work there all year round? What do you do? It's like, so maybe this podcast will help people understand. But um, just today, someone said, so you, you work there for 12 months. And I said, yeah. And he's like, 
but you only have people there in the summer. And I was like, well, no, no, we have people here all the time. And, and so I think there's a lot of stuff that, which I guess maybe it's good. It goes unseen because it just looks good and flawless. Like it's just easy, but, but there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Um, but my e-commerce part of things is, it's a lot of work. Um, my first task I was given when I started in April of 2021 was to get 95% of the items in our store on the website, which I was like, okay, that won't be too hard until I realized there was only about 40 or 50% of it online. And I had to kind of, my the person that was there in my position before me had left months before I was there. So Luke knew a little bit of it. He'd been there a few months. But for the most part, it was teaching myself, you know, three new programs that you have to use in order to get something online and photographing and writing the descriptions on products I've never even heard of. <laughs> so teaching myself what these products are. And and the reason for the giant push to get so much online in such a short amount of time was that we had just gotten out of a year off from COVID. We basically had assumed no one could be in the store because there was a chance of that. There's there's a chance Philmont would open, but interior structures would have crazy limited amount of people and, and low thresholds. And they did. I mean, we had that first summer, we had a person at the front door sitting at a table with a clicker, letting people in and out of the store and a line all the way to registration for people waiting to come in. So what I had to do is get everything online and implement, look into our software and talk with our website and figure out a way to do in-store pickup. And in case, you know, someone got there and they realized they didn't have this or that, or they wanted the souvenirs, of course, and things like that, and they could just order from their phone, we'd have it ready and pick it up. And and it's great in the long run that we were able to do that because it is such a successful part of our business now and our e-commerce side of things. And so often... I use the example of like when I lived in Denver and I would do in-store pickup from Target or something. And I would go, because I didn't want to bring my kids in and do all of that. So I get it. Well, then I brought my kids to get pick it up and they see Target and they're like, well, we want to go into Target. And so I would spend, you know, a little bit of money online and then I'd go in and also spend more money. So it's it's kind of nice because mom gets on and she's like, oh, I'm going to surprise my kid with some souvenirs and tell him to pick them up at the end of his track. And and then he comes in and of course he wants to pick out his own souvenirs too. So it's really nice. It's a convenience and it's also kind of, you know, a boost in sales, which is great. So I kind of do that whole aspect of it. Um, and then a really big chunk of what we do in the end of the year and early into the next is custom crew gear. And so uh, it, is, it is a huge task because not only are you helping design you're helping, you know, work with the vendor. We go to Santa Fe for a week each fall and we set up a huge hotel room with one of our vendors of all the products we get from them, plus all the custom stuff. And we sit there for multiple days on top of days, looking over this, talking about every single detail and how we're going to set it all up and and set up um, the custom gear through them. So the shirts and what designs we want to do. And, and then from there going and building up brochures and marketing and everything around that and getting that promoted. And so it's just kind of, it's like a hodgepodge of stuff. And I feel like that's what I feel gives me energy in the job is I love to have a million and one projects going on and being able to kind of chip at all of them. And so it's, it's never dull. I I know my first uh, year when summer ended, I got kind of sad thinking, oh man, I'm going to be bored. And I was so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, needless to say, the tot is a Philmont's always people always say Philmont is a machine, and I feel like the tot is like a tiny machine within the machine um, because it does like everything you just described. I just like my eyebrows keep going up. Like it's a lot, and it functions so well, and it is so professional, and it's like a mini REI. And that back warehouse room, I think I mentioned in our notes, like. I remember the first time I walked back in there and fall staff to help with inventory. And I was like, I didn't know this was back here. And it's yeah. huge. I was like, this is a crazy amount of space. And look at all of this product. And I was so impressed. And um, you could like just you could put like a small city back there. So like obviously the role fits your personality. And that's always such a win. Yeah, um, absolutely. What are some just for fun? Like what are some of the most popular items or fan favorites or like oddities, wow. like items you wouldn't guess the tot sold or... I mean, there's a good chunk of really... I feel like it's surprising, but maybe not. I don't know. But the most popular items, definitely the leather belt and the buckles are one of the top. Um, we sold right around four miles of leather belts this last year. We like to always like come up cool. with little fun facts for like our ranch committee and figure out like the weird things that the amounts of craziness that we sell. Nalgene's are obviously huge. It's definitely a Philmont thing. Um, and so we we sell around 12,000 of those in a year. And then t-shirts, of course, are huge. And and they're always such a fun thing to, to design and pick out. And other than that, it's, it's the coffee cups and all of the patches and... Um, for the most part, it's souvenirs. We also obviously sell all the fuel and the stoves and the kitchen gear and backpacks and and shoes and everything that you may need. But a lot of that stuff and often people are coming out with those things. So, so those are more fill in. They do their shakedown with a ranger and they're like, oh, my gosh, how did I space this and and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. And But aside from that, um, some of the biggest things we sell are in the cantina as far as quantity goes. And so you can imagine after... You're, you know, week and a half or so in the backcountry, you come back and, and nothing sounds as good as junk food. And so we sold um, 10,000 soft serve ice creams in that three month period, 6,000 candy bars and 5,000 slices of pizza. <laughs> so it is just absolutely insane the amount of stuff that we sell in there. So it's it's pretty cool. Every so often we get those reviews and it's like, I wish you carried healthier options in the cantina. And we do. And we'll carry them. And they all rot. If it's fruit, they get rotten. And they, no one buys it because it's that couple of people that maybe want it. But for the most part, everyone is craving just junk food after doing all of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> got to give them what they want. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I would want. I mean, yeah. come, come in from days off and get a pizza, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I know. Okay, talking about the cantina and the backcountry locations, um, you weren't sure, but you thought maybe those first originated in the 80s? Yeah, from from an educated guess. Seems like it was around the 80s. Um, I don't know the first camp. Likely it was, you know, Baldy area and stuff like that with its high traffic and everything. And so I'd imagine there and probably Poneal had some stuff first, but I, you know, I don't know. And it was one of those crazy holiday time that we didn't get time to dig into and figure out exactly what the first one was, but I'm sure, I'm sure someone's got that knowledge somewhere. Yeah, we'll find it. We'll figure it out. Right? Um, what, what's something you're excited for, for the future of either, you know, the base camp 
main location or the backcountry uh, satellite operations? So a big thing we're really working on launching now um, that would be a major labor game changer and just a game changer in general would be to have mobile point of sale systems in our backcountry, which that requires internet. Um, so we're working with finding different satellite internet we could use back there. They've tested something um, at Poneal right now with the residents that are living there, and it's working pretty successfully. So basically, we would have to get um, our upgrade on a retail system that we use, which seems pretty likely. And then from there, um, implement these mobile POS systems. And this would make it so anyone can pay with a credit card in the backcountry. Of course, we'd never go without cash because not every 12-year-old, 14-year-old has a credit card. And so this would eliminate um, an absurd amount of time um, on staff's and campers, you know, point of view. Right now, this last year, we did a little over 1,500 trail charges um, for around like $300,000 in sales. And that's a massive amount of time. So basically, you have to fill these trail charges out. And it's not just like writing down what the person gets. It's writing their name, their phone number, their email, because every so often the trail charge is at PJ and it doesn't make it back by the time the person leaves. So then People are having to call in and get the information to close out these charges and invoice them. And so that gets done. And then those have to get transported down to base. And then when we get them at base camp, I have two seasonals that work under me for that department. And they spend half their time packaging orders and delivering them to the backcountry. And the other half of the time entering trail charges just day in and day out. It is, it is massive amount of work. And then we also have to enter them into the gateway. And so people at registration, when they're checking crews out, can see if there's a trail charge and they have to bring in receipts to show they've paid it or they don't get the arrowhead and all of that stuff. And so it's just this massive, huge operation um, that takes so much time and could be so quick and effortless if a card was able to be used back there. So we're hoping, which it may not happen yet, but we're hoping to launch this this year at Baldy and Poneal if we can get everything worked out. Worst case, hopefully next year for that and kind of do a test run on two stores. It'd actually technically be three since Ponyol has two locations right now, um, the Cantina and the Trading Post, and see you know how that works and what we run into with issues and then hopefully launch that at all six locations the following year. So so that's a really exciting, exciting difference. And we'd be able to kind of track their inventory. And instead of having someone that's running a backcountry store for the very first time ever you know, expect them to project all of these sales and what they're going to need, we would be able to look at that daily and see, okay, they're running low on this. Let's send that up to them. And so currently I always tell my staff when I'm training them for backcountry that if you order something, you're likely going to get it in a week because you have to write the order. It has to come to me. We have to fulfill it. We have to get it packaged up, get it back to someone and then get it back to you. And by the time all of that happens, it can it could possibly be a week. So to project how many Toblerones you're going to sell or project rains coming and you're going to sell out of all your rain gear or something like that, it, it's tricky. And so to be able to see those live updates on a daily basis would be absolutely incredible and a big game changer. You took the word out of my, my mouth. I was like, game changer. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a hard thing for advisors too. I know I hear a lot of them like, we're not doing trail charges. Make sure you have cash before you know, we go into the backcountry and things like this because they know how hard it is to get all those paid once you get into base and figure out who charged what and where and all of that. So I think just on 
the camper and advisor side of things that would make life so much easier for them too. So, so we're really hoping, hoping that pans out and we'll definitely be announcing that to everyone. If that's something we're able to get in the works by this summer. So just um, to interject, maybe a story here for fun, um, talking about interacting with participants, both the um, youth and advisors. Do you have any stories? Do you have any moments? Anything that really stands out? Because like you said, you get to see them before and after their trek most most often. So just, I don't know, any insights there, moments that that stand out? Yeah, I think one that really... I mean, there's always the little like they'll touch base with me and say hi. Like when we're really busy, sometimes during like lunch and dinner breaks, we lose a few of our cashiers. So us managers jump on and it's always really fun to to get that experience with people. And so often you'll meet someone and start a conversation with them while you're checking them out. And it can be some young little kid that's shy and nervous and doesn't want to say much and stuff. But you make a little connection with them. And then sometimes they come back and they're just hey, I remember you. My truck was so awesome. And I stopped at your store at Baldy and I got this and, and they're really cool. But I think the one that like really sticks with me is in, um, I think it was June or July. I forget the summer is a blur, but there was a crew that had, um, traveled to Philmont by train. And I think their train station was a little ways away. So they stayed in a hotel before they jumped on the train the next day. And they had, um, their troop little trailer full of all their packs and everything they needed for their track. And so someone broke into their trailer when they were staying in the hotel. And I think, I think all but like one or two packs were stolen, every single thing for it. So they jumped on the train, they started making phone calls, they reached out to us, parents were calling me, trying to figure out, you know, do you have my son's side? He has a really big foot, a really wide foot. Do you have this? And, you know, helping them along the way and helping buy the thing, showing them how they could buy it online and do in-store pickups since their kid didn't have enough money with them, you know, to buy, you know, everything they needed for their truck and trying to line up extra stuff that we had in lost and found and things like that to help them out. And so this crew arrived, we had them come in after hours. So the store wasn't busy. So we stayed on late that night and we made a list with them and found everything they were going to need. And we basically, um, you know, told them, you know, get everything you had, you know, don't feel like you need to be stingy. Like we're going to help you out with this. We'll figure out a way to get you the best price. And in that time earlier that day, an advisor had come in and he had gotten pulled off the truck for some reason. And he was like, you know, I heard about this situation. He saw it on Phil prep Trek Facebook thing. And he's like, I want to donate some money. He's like, you know, I'm a wealthier man and I really want to be able to help these kids out. So he donated a chunk of money. He had friends calling and giving me money. I had random people calling me like, we want to donate money to this troop. We don't want their truck to be ruined. We want them to have the same experience. You know, we did at Philmont. So we were able to go shopping with them. These kids were in tears by the end and you could just tell they were so high strung thinking about like, you know, everything they had endured the last 24 hours. And so they went on their track and when they got back, they had to get pictures with us. They had written thank you notes to send to everyone that had given money. And, and it was just, it was such a cool experience to know, you know, we're able to do that for them. And we had, you know, everything to help them out so that their experience wasn't ruined. So that's a great story. That's like a success win story for everyone. Yes. Okay. So you've talked a lot about training your staff and kind of the pace of the day at the tot. Um, what is the culture like for for seasonal staff and just in general the culture of the tot? 
in general, just like everywhere on Philmont, kind of like I explained with mice for summer at Philmont is it's one of those, you've got tons of people coming from all over. No one knows anyone. They all have a similar common ground, either with scouting or a love for the outdoors or mountains and things like that. But for the most part, people don't know each other. And you start off the training, everyone's really shy and you start to see little groups of people starting to interact and get along. And so I always feel like I make it my job to make sure that they have the experience I did at Philmont because they need to. That's the greatest part about it. And so I I always get nervous every summer thinking, oh my gosh, what if they don't enjoy this? What if they don't have a good time? What if they don't love Philmont? They're supposed, it's supposed to be life-changing. And so, so we always start off um, with our basic training, like we discussed, and then we all go on a tooth of time hike. And so the hike, the whole entire staff, everyone that can or wants, goes um, one whole day of training, which I'm sure we could use to do more training, but it's important to break off and have the fun. And so we get to teach them kind of how to get trail meals and how to rent a pack if they want so that they're able to kind of feel confident enough to use the backcountry throughout the summer. But then we get to hike with them for the first time. And some people are amazing at it and they love it. And other people, it's taking everything they can to get to the top of this mountain, but they're always the ones once you get down to the bottom that are just like, this is amazing. And so it's really cool because that usually happens like three quarters of the way through training. And then it's like the last couple of days of training, everyone is just in this awesome mood. And it's, it's so cool to watch that change. So that's just a really neat tradition that's always happened there. But something I know Shelly's always taught fish, which is if you haven't done fish before, you should look it up. It's amazing. And she gets into it more than I think anyone ever has. And um, But I've kind of taken on uh, the role of teaching legendary customer service. And so I like to tell this really cool story about um, my husband worked for this restaurant in Denver. And I tell this story because it just goes to show like how something so small can make such a big difference. And so there was this family that comes into this restaurant. They'd waited for 45 minutes for this long wait or something, you know, and they're, they have a young kid with them. And I'm sure you can relate. The kid is just over it. You know what I mean? Like this is Saturday, Sunday brunch. They're so excited. This is their one, you know, really fun thing they're going to do this week. And they go and they sit down and the kid's just about to lose it. It's almost time to go home and they're just starting. And so the server comes by and, you know, asks what they like to drink and the kid wants a pickle. Well, it's like a brunch place. They don't have pickles. They have nothing with pickles. And so he's crying. He All he wants is a pickle. And the mom orders drinks, you know, I'm sorry. He's just, we waited a long time. So the server goes across the street to the gas station, spends a dollar, buys a pickle, comes back with the drinks and gives the pickle. And, and it's, obviously it's not always, uh, you know, value you have to spend on something, but it's, it's crazy to think, yes, the kid got the pickle. That's awesome. But the main thing is that changed the whole rest of their experience. The kid got what they wanted. He wanted, and he's happy now. So mom gets to relax and have, you know, have her cup of coffee or latte she's been waiting on and they all enjoy their meal. And so it's, it's important to think you can make those tiny little that seem like unimportant at the time, just like, whatever, this is nothing gestures to someone and it can change so much about the, you know, the way the rest of their day goes or the rest of their time at Philmont goes just because you've turned it around. And so I always like to tell people that story when we do that training and explain to them, you know, find your pickle. So I'll write up on my whiteboard outside of my office. I call it my pickle board. And I'll write like, what did you do to pickle someone today? Or 
what did, you know, you see someone doing? And so people will write up there, you know, random things that they did and went out. So it's really cool to just kind of challenge them to do that and find a way. And it's not, you know, don't give away something necessarily, but, you know, find that little thing that helps, you know, brighten their day and do something. So we really try to preach the culture of going above and beyond and being legendary. So not just, not just your traditional customer service, but, you know, people have prepared for a year or possibly longer to come to this place to be able to, you know, come in your store and buy a souvenir. And it's like, you need to, you know, understand all of that and, and treat them with, you know, the Philmont experience. And so it's, it's fun. I think just being able to goof around with each other and have a good time and being able to connect with scouts and do all of the fun stuff at the store, just upset customer service from your traditional, you know, checking out at Target or a grocery store or something like that experience. So talking about staff culture and obviously how, uh, I mean, I mean, this whole podcast is about Philmont staff and the impact it has on us. So a lot of people go on to um, write music or uh, produce albums or, or there are so many people at Philmont who are makers, like craftsmen. And um, sometimes that stuff is offered for sale in the trading post. And then, you know, it comes and goes and then people on the show will hop back on and say like, where can I get a Tabasco donkey CD? And so anything to note there, kind of how the trading post. I mean, we get that question a good amount on a variety of things that were sold in the past. Some of them I'm like, what is that one? I don't know that one because some of it was before me or, you know, things I just haven't heard of, but there's a good chunk of them. I'm like, yeah, that would be awesome. And so I think a big part of it is finding it at that moment in time, you're best to go to somewhere like eBay or things like that, unfortunately, but things of that nature to be able to find those. But I know we do still have some CDs in the store, but it's mostly like Rod Taylor. We have some of his and Rye Taylor um, and things like that. And then we do have some books that were written by some you know local people and things like that. But the biggest thing is I need those people to reach out to me. Because so, <laughs> a lot of times I don't, you know, I wasn't here then. And so I don't have their contact information anymore. And and those are things that would be so cool to carry again, especially for past staff or people that maybe heard them play at a campfire when they came out on a track or something like that. And so so any of those people listening don't want to get your music back in the tat, call me or email me or something. And we can totally work on that because it's great. I know there's so many people that ask Tabasco donkeys is probably the biggest ask. I hear that one often. So that would be pretty awesome. Um and with that, um I thought I'd also mention the museum gift shop because they have um, a variety of really unique items kind of more geared toward like historical and their jewelry and and kind of the New Mexico side of things as well. Are you guys at all affiliated or are you just kind of in support of each other? Yeah, I mean, we definitely are in support of each other 100%, but we do share our website. So they have, I'm sure if anyone's been there, toothatimetraders.com, there is a um, National Scotty Museum category. And so you're able to find all the different cool things they have. They definitely are more of that bookstore type of souvenirs is kind of the way I see it. Plus the jewelry is amazing. Didi's so good at picking out the best jewelry. She gets me every time. Um, but it's, 
it's amazing. So we actually fulfill for them as well. They pick their orders and bring them over to us. Um, and we ship out their orders because a lot of times someone will buy, you know, a pair of turquoise earrings and also a Philmont sweatshirt. And so rather than shipping that off in two shipments, we combine it and send them out together and stuff. And so, so it's a great friendship we have between them. We have so much fun with them. And I've gone over and photographed a bunch of their stuff to get some of it up online as well. And, and things like that to be able to help them out a little when I have some downtime. And and we share our same retail system and our same um, website, like I said. So a lot of it is cohesive, but it's definitely different stores and different types of things, which is really cool. So on that note, it is around the new year and you guys had a lot of great promotions during the Christmas season. Is there mm-hmm. anything people listening you know, can do to support the tot, to get excited for upcoming stuff. Oh, and by the way, that online catalog was great. I loved how like the items were clickable. Oh, heck yes, right? So yeah, like what, just for people listening, what can they kind of get excited for product wise? <laughs> yeah, so we obviously have our classics, the traditional Philmont bowl shirt and things of that nature, the leather Philmont belt, which this year will be the 75th year Philmont's had that same Dunraven as the company make our our traditional Philmont belt. And then we have our hand-tooled one that Casey, who runs Cimarron West, and Cimarron actually makes so many of those by hand all on his own every year, which is just absolutely amazing. So of course, we have our classic repeat items that we'll never sway away from. But it's really exciting. We find just some of the coolest people that will reach out or will meet at you know outdoor retail shows and things like that. Um, last year in Denver, we met a guy named Andrew, and he runs a company called Natural Tribute. And he's this artist who draws inspiration from New Mexico. He lives in Texas, but he's obsessed with New Mexico. And they come out here for all their trips and stuff. And he's so talented. And so we were able to find him and have him work in Philmont into some of his drawings and and do some stuff like that. And so it's really, it's so exciting because it's fun to be able to find things and keep on trend and follow different outdoor places and different um websites and social medias that pertain to kind of the same type of retail we sell and and get these cool inspirations and ideas. There's there's one day uh I, I'm horrible at sitting still. So I'm one of those people I can be at my office for like a little bit and then I have to get up. If I'm on the phone, I'll just carry my phone with me and walk all over because I just I don't like to sit there. And so so there's one time in this all staff meeting and I'm sitting there and I have to doodle or do something to like keep, I I focus better when I'm doodling because then I'm using that energy up. And so I'm sitting there trying to brainstorm, like we need some new, cool custom crew art. Like this is the first year that I'm really helping work with it. This was last year. And, and so I started drawing the word Philmont in bubble letters, just like back in high school, like, you know what I mean? And, And I got to thinking, I'm like, you know, what could you put inside of each letter? And so I thought about your whole Philmont experience from the P to the T at the end. And and so it starts off with the sunrise at the beginning and it goes into like the arch, the gateway that you dry, used to drive under that you throw your boots over at the end, but it's the gateway and then it's the tooth and it's hiking and camping and campfires. And then the second to last one is um, an arrowhead to signify, you know, the end of your trek and the completion. And then the very last one's a sunset to kind of circle back with the theme. And so it's just, it's so cool to think um, you can just be sitting there in these meetings, drawing something like that, send it over to your vendor. Of course, I hand drew it and I'm horrible at drawing. And they were able to turn it into this amazing piece based on what I was explaining. And, and then 
turn that into a product and advertise it and see that people love it. And I got a call from my sister. She's like, Hey, I'm in Naperville right now. And these kids are by the train station and they have that shirt you designed on. And it's just like, it's such a cool circle of stuff, but we, I, that's one of my favorite things with this job is coming up with some of the ideas and of course, no idea is super original. And so, you know, pulling inspiration from different things we see and, and being able to think, how is that film? How can we make that film? And, and so there's tons of really cool new designs we have coming this year. Lots of really neat shirts, really cool coffee mugs. We've got, um, a patch, which I will tell you the secret, but everyone's been asking for a root beer patch for so many years to sell at our cantinas. And so we have this really cool tankard glass we sell at the trading post with the Philmont um, To The Time Traders logo on it. And so a kid that worked for us last year helped design a patch. And it's that mug with root beer and like the foam spilling out of the side. Nice. And so just neat stuff like that that we're able to just kind of throw in. Last year, we made a red roof in patch. And (laughs) and we're like, this isn't going to sell, but let's try it. Whatever. That thing sold so good. We had to order more in the middle of the summer and we're almost out of them again. And it's like, you, who would think a toilet patch would sell as good as that did? But it's just amazing. It's so fun just to see what things really hit and what people really like to get. And I don't know. It's just exciting to be able to offer people that new and fun and different stuff. Now I want one of those. I need a red roof and patch. Well, maybe I have to mail you one. They're pretty epic. <laughs> It's so cool because of how much I love Philmont to know that someone that came there picked out something that maybe I helped some little part of designing. I'm like, that is so cool. It's just, it's such a neat thing. And so. Super fulfilling. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to kind of shift back a little bit to talking about, you know, you and just your story. Um, What is it like living in Cimarron? A lot of people often ask what it is that you love about living there and the people and the culture and the community. Like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a really small town in Illinois, but the way Illinois works is there's a town every, there's a town, there's a cornfield, and then there's another town. And so it's, you don't go far between towns. And so the high school I went to, I think had like 11 schools or 11 towns in the one school. And my class still had like barely a hundred people in the graduating class. So, so it's much different. And it's, since there's so many towns close by, there's not quite the same feeling of community there as there is here in Cimarron. And so, of course, we have, you know, Eagle Nest and Springer and Raton and things like that, but not right next to us. We're kind of our own little thing. And and it is unlike any other community I feel like I've ever been a part of. It is absolutely amazing. So, I got to kind of touch on it a little in seasonal staff times back in, you know, early 2000s when I had friends that were, you know, locals and things like that and and just getting to meet them. And my husband and I, when we first started dating, um, his mom took me to bingo at the parish hall. And I had never actually, other than like, you know, in school, like little bingo, I'd never been to like a place where like it was like this big bingo production. And I freaking loved it. Everyone was so into it. It was like the cutest <laughs> thing on earth. And I I think I won like the second bingo that night. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, but it's, everyone knows everyone, but like in a really positive, awesome way. And so it's one of those things you walk into Russell's, the grocery store here. And I mean, I don't think I've ever walked in there and not 
had a conversation with somebody, you know what I mean? You don't just like in Denver, I'd go into Safeway or something and I may see the cashier I saw, you know, a few times that week or something and say hi to her. But, but it's like, you stop, you have a big conversation. My kids are always like, Oh, why do you have to talk to everybody? (laughs) This whole thing. But it's just, it's wonderful. Everywhere you go, you've got people to talk with and share stories with. And you kind of, you know, you feel like one big family here. And it is just so amazing. We started my first, other than working at Philmont, my first actual scouting experience um, was with my daughter last year joined Cub Scouts for the first time. So she was a wolf and I knew nothing about any of it. Like I didn't know Pinewood Derbies happened. I didn't know what that was. It was absolutely amazing. So she was in second grade last year and she won the Pinewood Derby overall. So we were just like, it's coming up next month. And we are like, we have to win again. (laughs) It's not even just her, it's all of us. And so, so it's just, it was so cool. And once, um, once that wrapped up for the year, David O'Neill reached out and he's like, you know, we're looking for another cub master. Oh, but I don't really know anything about it. And he's like, yeah, but you'll do great at it. You'll be awesome. And I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? Okay. So I started doing that this year and it is so awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the scout oath and law, I still have to like look at the paper when I'm doing it or I'll (laughs) assign it to one of the other den leaders. I'm by no means like some awesome professional scouter by any means, but, but it's, it is so fun. I love kids in general, but We went on a hike for Lover's Leap as one of our first um, pack events this year. And the whole way up, I mean, there's just, they're telling knock-knock jokes and we're playing guessing games and they're experiencing Philmont in like such a cool way. Not every, not every Cub Scout pack gets to go hike Philmont on a random day and do stuff like that. So, so it is, it is quite the experience. And I have to just brag on the schools for a second too, because they're amazing. I know going from a school in Colorado that had, you know, electronic stuff everywhere. And they were, you know, it was one of those higher end schools. I'm like, oh man, you know, in the small town, I don't know what to expect. And, and so we went and toured the school about a week early and instantly when we went in um, that her teacher that year has two grandkids that are in the elementary school and they're twins. And they grabbed Colette and started taking her to the classrooms and showing her around and taking her to the playground and playing while we talked to the teachers and, And I mean, just as much as the town is so loving and caring, the schools are just awesome. I'm so lucky that Colette and soon Josephine will get to kind of grow up with this community and with caring, you know, supportive teachers like that. I'm sure you're aware that I like to ask people if they have an 11th essential. You know, it's hard because I feel like my 11th essential is my family. And it does correlate with Philmont. Absolutely. And so... I think it's hard because when I think of being at Philmont, it's not, my family's not necessarily there with me, but they give me the drive and the motivation and, and they keep me young and excited to do fun things. And there's really, when I actually physically go hiking, I can't imagine not going with them. And, and our, my kids are obsessed with Baldy. Usually in the off season, I'll randomly say, who wants to go to Baldy? And they go insane. And so we'll drive up there and spend, you know, two or three nights. They love the bunk beds. So we get to sleep in bunk beds and we get to go walk to the Red Roof Inn. And and so I think it's definitely my family for me, my family and my close friends and everything that are my essential. (laughs) 